Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. Kids worship. We are almost in the home stretch of Luke. We're in the last chapter, so Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 24. And as we begin this morning, I just want to begin by asking a question. Have you ever had a very special meal with a group of friends or a group of family and you really didn't want the meal to end? It, things were going so wonderfully, you just didn't want, you didn't want your friends to leave. And, and maybe the babysitter called and said, you, you know, I, I've got to get home, I've got to take care of my kids. Like, no, stay, we're having so much fun. And the reason why, because the meal was wonderful. It was a wonderful meal you, you celebrated together. The conversation was lively. There's some great conversation. The, the fellowship was sweet. The laughter around the table was contagious. And maybe there were even some shedding of tears and there was encouragement and there was the promise to pray for one another. And maybe you've had those rare moments around the dinner table where you just didn't want it to end because the fellowship was so sweet. It was so powerful. The conversation you didn't want to end. Now why do I bring up not wanting to leave a meal when things are so great? Because we see this in our passage before us as we continue looking at Luke's account of these two travelers. Now, we don't know if they're male or female. We know one is male, Cleopas. There's two travelers. And they're on the road to Emmaus. And as they get there, they don't want Jesus to leave. Now, last week we explored in great detail what Jesus did by explaining the text to them. He opened up the scriptures, their hearts burned within them. But we're not quite done because they, they were on the road to Emmaus as we looked last week. Today they finally get there. It's a seven-mile trek from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And so for this morning, I need you to hang with me because we're going to look more at the spiritual implications and applications and symbolism and pictures that emerge from this passage of Scripture. And so let's read together where we left off last week, Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us? while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. 
Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. In the breaking of the bread. So they get close to Emmaus. And Jesus acts as if he's going to leave. And and the Bible says they urged him strongly to stay. Literally in the Greek text, it almost means they coerced Jesus. No, you can't leave. You, You need to stay with us. And so Jesus does. And Jesus eats a meal with them. And Jesus breaks bread with them. And the Bible says he disappears. He vanishes from their sight. Now, I could just say that's the sermon. They ate a meal. Jesus disappeared. We're done but you know me better than that. As I began to study this passage of Scripture, I'm reminded there are three primary meals in the Gospel of Luke that all have the same exact wording. Now, that's not by mistake. That's not a coincidence. I think Luke does this purposely. What's the first meal that Luke draws our attention to that uses this same wording? It's the feeding of the 5,000. Back in Luke chapter 9, verse 16 through 17. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. He said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets and broken pieces. The first meal where Jesus broke bread and gave them to eat. What's the second meal? that has the same exact wording. It's the Lord's Supper. The upper room where Jesus was celebrating Passover and he institutes the Lord's Supper in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. He took bread and he had given thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And right here this morning in this passage of Scripture is the third meal. Now what do all these meals have in common? Why is the language the same? Well, first, Jesus is the one who's in charge. He's the host. He's the one. He's the leader. But the second thing we see is he blessed the bread and he broke the bread. And the third thing we see is he gave it to them. He served them the bread to eat. And you may think, well, that sounds kind of elementary. Jesus gave them bread to eat. So what? Why does Luke draw our attention to three meals in his gospel with the same wording, where Jesus blesses the bread, breaks the bread, and gives them the bread. Let me remind you what Jesus said about himself in John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus not only gives them physical bread in all three of these meals, but he is the bread of life. So what's the point of all three of these meals? The feeding of the 5,000, the Lord's Supper, and this meal here. What's the point of all three of them? It's a very simple point, but it's very profound. It is this. Jesus serves us himself as the true spiritual satisfaction. Jesus serves us himself as the source of true spiritual satisfaction. Jesus is a servant. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom 
for many. What's the ultimate act of serving? Now, Jesus served them bread, but what's the ultimate act of serving that Jesus did? He gave up his life on the cross for our sins, shedding his blood, taking God's judgment, and then rising again three days later. And what's the first thing Jesus does after he rises from the grave? He serves these two disciples. He serves them by teaching them the scriptures, and he serves them a meal. Now, here's the interesting thing. They invite him in to eat. You think that they'd be the host, but no, Jesus is the host. He's the leader. He's the one that breaks the bread. He's the one that serves them the bread. You'd think that they'd be the one to serve him, but no, he serves them. Now, this brings up an interesting question for us today. Because I want you to raise your hand here. How many of you had the privilege of being there when Jesus fed the 5,000? I see no hands. Anybody had the privilege of being one of those disciples in the upper room where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper? I see no hands. Anybody there on the road to Emmaus when Jesus had a meal with these people? I see no hands. None of us were there when Jesus was physically on earth for him to feed us and to serve us bread. But... I would submit to you, Jesus still serves us today. The question is how? How does Jesus continue to serve his people today? Or was it only limited to those few precious people that got the privilege of being served while he was on earth? Now I want you to notice something very interesting from this passage of scripture. It's kind of fascinating. It's, it's kind of actually kind of eerie. Look at verse 31. We'll go back to verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and then he vanished from their sight. He disappeared. Now, what the world's going on there? Don't ask me to explain this scientifically, but Jesus did have a glorified and resurrected body. His body was glorified, his body's resurrected, but there's something miraculous about his body. Now, we know it's a literal body because he ate other gospel says he ate fish, he ate bread, but he, somehow he was able to disappear, and then later on he shows up walking through walls, and so there's something miraculous going on here. But let's ask the question, what's the, what's the issue here of Jesus just disappearing? Is it just kind of an interesting detail that Luke gives us, or is there something greater going on here? No, there's a greater spiritual significance here of Jesus disappearing. Jesus will soon leave planet Earth and go back up to heaven. He's going to leave these disciples. He's going to ascend back up to the Father. He's going to sit at the right hand of the Father. He is going to be in heaven. So here's the point. Jesus is in heaven now as the resurrected Christ with the body. He is still the bread of life. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, and He is the bread of life, and He rules and He reigns from heaven. But He also serves us from heaven. Well, how does that happen if Jesus is not physically here? If Jesus is not physically here to serve us, how do we get served? Because he's in heaven. Now, before I answer that question, let me just remind you of Jesus' words to his followers to prepare them for his departure, for his vanishing, for his going back up to heaven. In John's gospel, John 14, 16 through 17, Jesus says, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 
Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and he will be in you. So how does Jesus promise to to serve us? He says, I'm going back up to heaven, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down and the Holy Spirit's going to live in you. He's going to live inside of all of us who are believers. And the Holy Spirit is the down payment guaranteeing that we will have eternal life, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, 13-14. In Him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. We've been given the Holy Spirit. So here's the answer to the question of how. How does Jesus serve us today when he's not physically here on earth to serve us? The answer is through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the living God living inside of all of us. There are two primary ways publicly, gathered or relieved, that's a word, that the Holy Spirit uses to grow your faith these are called the means of grace now why do i call them the means of grace these are vehicles that happen every time we gather as god's people that the holy spirit uses to serve christ to us i might challenge your thinking here a little bit this morning so i need you to hang with me these are public practices that happen on sunday morning that the holy spirit uses in our hearts together to serve christ to us these have historically been called word and supper word and supper or if you like a better way of saying it preaching and communion preaching in the lord's supper The first means of grace that God uses to feed us, Christ, is preaching, which comes to our ears. The second means that God uses to feed us, Christ, is the Lord's Supper, which comes to our eyes and into our mouths. We see it and we take it in. Our senses, hearing, seeing, tasting. And it's vitally important that we as a church faithfully practice these means of grace that God has prescribed to minister Christ to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I need to say this up front, lest you mistake me. This passage of Scripture does not explicitly teach what I'm about to teach. It doesn't just come out and says, here's what it is. It's in picture form. It's in symbolic form. You'll see it as we go through it, but it's not explicit. So let's ask the question, how does Jesus serve us? Well, here's the first way, and we saw it last week, but I'm going to briefly mention it. Jesus serves his people through faithful, expository preaching. That's how Jesus serves us. Now, what does he do to these men? Or maybe it's a man and woman. We looked at this last week. Go back and see where we were last week. Verse 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's the Old Testament scriptures, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He exposited the scriptures. He preached the scriptures. And then look at verse 31. Their eyes were open, they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. Verse 32, 
They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Jesus served these two followers by opening up to them the scriptures. He served them the Bible. Now, what's the point for us? Every Sunday, every Lord's Day when we meet, when we gather together, this same thing needs to happen to us. Our eyes need to be opened to Jesus in the scriptures so that our hearts burn. We need that same ministry to us that these two followers did. We need our eyes to be opened. That's actually what Paul prays in Ephesians 1, 17-18. Paul says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes, not your, not your physical eyes, but having the eyes of your heart enlightened, the eyes of your heart opened, that you may know what is the hope to which He's called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. So how... Does the Holy Spirit open your eyes? Well, the same way it happened here. When Jesus preached to them the Scriptures, when Jesus opened up the Scriptures, their eyes were opened. How does the Holy Spirit open your eyes? When the Bible is faithfully preached. You and I need the faithful preaching of God's Word week in and week out. That's how faith comes. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. You need to hear the Word of Christ every Sunday. So you can get saved with your initial faith, but you can be sustained with ongoing faith. God uses the preaching of His Word to sustain your faith. Do you realize that you and I were born again through the preaching of the Word? That's what 1 Peter says, 1 Peter 1, 23 and 25. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. How are you born again? Through the living and abiding Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flowers of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the Word of the Lord remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. The Gospel was preached to you, and God caused you to be born again through this Word. So faith comes by hearing the word. Being born again comes by hearing the word. And as Russell, one of our elders, said earlier, you and I are cleansed and sanctified by the word. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. How are you going to be sanctified? How are you going to be washed? You're going to be washed every time you come in here and you're filled with the word. Because we come in here, whether we like it or not, dirtied from the things of this earth. And we need to be cleaned up. And how are we cleaned up? By hearing the word of Christ into our ears so it goes into our hearts. And that word is actively at work within you, Paul says. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 We also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And what does that word of God do? It's at work in you believers. Whether you know it or not, every Sunday when you come here and hear preaching, God is at work. He's doing a deep work of grace in your heart through the preaching of the Word. Jesus is serving you through His Word. Now, the Baptist Catechism will eventually get to this, but the Baptist Catechism has some questions about how God ministers to us through His Word. So here's the question. What are the outward means 
whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of his salvation. What are the outward means that Christ benefits us, Christ serves us, gives us salvation? Here's the answer that catechism gives. It's from the Bible. He does this through his ordinances, especially word, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and prayer. Word, supper, baptism, prayer. Second question. How is the word made effectual to salvation? Answer. The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convicting and converting sinners and building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. So the first means of grace, outwardly, publicly, that Jesus Christ serves you. Now I want you to think about that. It's kind of like, what do you mean Jesus serves me? Jesus is serving you a meal, not a physical meal, but a spiritual meal, through the preaching of the Word. The way He preached the Word to these followers on the road. And so you need the truth of Jesus' Word to impact your minds. You need biblical understanding. You would agree with me. There's a lot of biblical illiteracy in our day. People just don't know their Bibles. And when you come here on Sunday morning, you need Bible. You need to be saturated with the Scriptures. You need your mind filled with truth. But that's not good enough. You can have your mind filled with theology and doctrine and not have a burning heart for Jesus. I've been there. You can have a mind full of stuff that makes you win a trivia contest among your friends when it comes to Bible trivia, and you can have a cold heart to the things of God. So yes, you need your mind filled with truth, but you need your hearts to burn with love. What's the purpose of preaching? What's my, you may not know what my aim is every Sunday, but here's my aim every Sunday. I don't always hit it. The purpose of preaching is this, to instruct your mind, but also to ignite your heart. You need your mind instructed in truth. But if that's all we get on Sunday mornings, we got halfway. You need to have your heart ignited with love for Jesus. And that only comes through the Word. Something I can't generate, I can't pump you up. It's got to come from the Word and the Spirit using that Word to bring that change. Verse 32, how did they respond to the preaching of the word? Look at it with your own eyes. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures? What was the response to him opening up the scriptures and preaching to them? Burning hearts. Now their minds were filled with truth, but their hearts burned with passion. A good sermon will give you information for your mind, but I have not done my job unless you're left here with it impacting your heart with Christ. So the first means that the Holy Spirit uses is the faithful preaching of His Word. So you need it. You need to sit under the faithful preaching Sunday after Sunday so you can receive a spiritual meal where Jesus serves you Himself. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. How do you taste the Lord and see that he's good? That's a weird metaphor. You taste Jesus by taking in his word. What did Jesus say when he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness? Matthew 4, 4, he answered, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
How do you live? How do you sustain yourself by God's word? And then this was read to open up our worship service. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ do what? Dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So the the first primary way that Jesus serves you a meal through the power of the Holy Spirit is through preaching. The way he served these men on the road by opening up the scriptures to them. But there's a second thing. There's a second way that Jesus feeds you, serves you, and it is this. Jesus serves his people in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Now, again, I want to make this very clear, very, very clear. What we see here in Luke 24 is not the Lord's Supper. I do not believe Jesus is doing a communion meal with these men. And here's why I don't believe that. Because Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper in the upper room, and there was wine or fruit of the vine. You don't see any mention here of of wine or the cup. It's just bread. You also don't see the symbolism of do this in remembrance of me. You you don't see a lot of the elements of the Lord's Supper. So I don't think what Jesus is doing here with these two followers is communion or the Lord's Lord's Supper. I think it's a fellowship meal. I think it's a wonderful meal that they, they shared together. There's the breaking of bread, but it was a fellowship meal. So much so that they begged Jesus to stay so that they could eat with him. But I think what you see on the Emmaus Road is a picture of word and supper or of preaching and communion. The meal comes after the preaching. Now you may say, why do we celebrate the Lord's Supper after the sermon? Because first of all, you need the word preached to your ears. And then after the word is preached to your ears when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you need to see the second sermon with your eyes and taste it with your mouth. So the Lord's Supper is the second sermon It just doesn't go to your ears. It goes into your eyes. You see it, and you taste it. It's a visible sermon after the sermon. So it does not explicitly come out and say this is the Lord's Supper, but it's a picture, okay? So you've got Jesus teaching, preaching, followed by a meal where Jesus is serving them. It's a picture of what we do on Sunday mornings and then the first Sunday of the month with Lord's Supper. I'm serving you the meal of Christ and his word, and then afterwards we celebrate the Lord's Supper where Jesus serves us himself in the Lord's Supper. The main point I want to make is this, okay? Don't lose the forest for the trees. Here's the main point. Jesus serves us. Now, I don't want you to be selfish or self-absorbed and think it's all about me, but I I want to reorient yourself to, to... Reorient your thinking this morning. Why do we call it a worship service? Do we come here primarily as those who give to Jesus? Or do we come here primarily to receive from Jesus? In other words, who's doing the serving in a worship service? Who's serving whom? It's a trick question. Because it's both. We serve Jesus in a worship service. We come to serve and worship him, but many times I think you can go through the motions of coming in, worrying about all the things that you're doing, that you don't stop and think that maybe Jesus comes to serve us himself in a worship service. We gather on Sunday morning to receive God's gifts, and he's the primary actor. Don't ever forget in a worship service who's the primary actor. It's God. It's not about what did I feel, what did I do, what did people say to me. No, you walk away from here thinking, how is God pleased with what we're doing? Now, 
we should be heartfelt. We should be engaged. We should be ready to serve the Lord. But also, you should be ready to receive a meal when you come. So what should happen when you come here on a Sunday morning? What should happen to you? Whether you know it or not, consciously or subconsciously, what should happen to you when you leave this place? Now let me give you three things that should happen to you. And to help you, because I'm a Baptist pastor, they all start with the same letter. Alliteration for dummies. Pastor Sean. Okay, here we go. E. You should be equipped with God's truth. When you come here on a Sunday morning and you leave this place, you should be equipped. You should have had a meal from the scriptures that equips you to go back out into the world. You should be equipped with God's truth. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God faithfully preached should, week by week, equip you. You should be equipped with God's truth. But not only should you just be equipped with God's truth, the second thing is you should be encouraged as you worship with other believers. You should leave this place not only equipped, but encouraged. This should be a place where you come and you feel, you feel fed and encouraged and, and come alongside and loved. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus is coming back. We need to be ready for it. How are we ready for it? We gather together so we can encourage one another. So here's the point. Don't miss out on church. You need to be here to be equipped, to be encouraged, and then the third thing, you should be empowered to be a witness for Christ. You should leave here empowered. Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Equipped, encouraged, empowered. Now I want you to notice, these are things that happen to you, not things that you do. Now you respond to this when you leave this place, but these are things that happen to you. These are the result of the Holy Spirit serving you Christ through the Word of God preached and the Lord's Supper celebrated. So Jesus serves you by equipping you, by encouraging you, and by empowering you. So this Emmaus Road experience is a picture of what we do in a worship service. Jesus served them the scriptures. Their eyes were open to truth. He instructed them. Their hearts burned within them with love and excitement. And after preaching from the scriptures, he served them a meal where they enjoyed fellowship and friendship. And that's what should happen every Sunday, whether you're conscious of it or not. Jesus serves us through the preaching of his word. And then on those Sundays we celebrate the Lord's Supper, he serves us through the Supper. Now, where's Jesus right now? He's in heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father, exalted as the bread of life, the King of kings. But he ministers to us through the Holy Spirit. So when you come to a worship service, you, whether you know it or not, you've been served by Jesus to be equipped, to be encouraged, 
to be empowered. But to do what? To what end? What happens the other six days of the week when you leave this place and you're scattered back into your neighborhoods and your jobs and your schools and your families? Well, let's look and see what the disciples did. It tells us right here in the text. Look at verse 33. After they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he opened up the scriptures? Look at verse 33. They rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them and gathered together. They rose that same hour. Now, you've got to do the math here. This is still Sunday. And most scholars believe by the time they get to Emmaus, notice he says it's getting dark early in the text. The day has gone. It's getting dark. Who knows how long they had a meal. It's probably pretty late. How many miles is it back to Jerusalem? Seven miles. It says they left that same hour. They didn't stick around and discuss it. They didn't wait to get a good night's seat. They said, listen, we've been so fed through the preaching of the word in this meal, through the risen Christ, we got to get up and go back. And we're not going to waste any time. We're going to walk into the middle of the night and go find the disciples. So they walk back to Jerusalem seven miles in the dark. And when they get back to Jerusalem, what does the Bible say they did? Look at it with your own eyes. Verse 34. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. They told. They told the gospel. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus preached to us the scriptures. Our hearts burned within us. Our eyes were open. In other words, when they experienced the preaching from Jesus and the meal, word and supper, if you will, they were equipped, they were encouraged, and they were empowered to go back and tell. To go back and tell. So Jesus does the same thing to us on Sunday mornings through the Holy Spirit. He serves us through preaching and the Lord's Supper, not so that we can sit here and soak it up, but so that from another, when we leave this place, the other six days of the week, we can be encouraged, we can be empowered, we can be equipped to go back and tell and be witnesses in our neighborhoods and be witnesses in our schools and live for Christ and be salt and be light and live for Jesus out in the world because you come into this place battered by the world, discouraged by the world. You come in here, you're equipped, you're encouraged, you're empowered to go back in to face that. And you need to be here to be fed and encouraged. What do you need most on Sundays when you gather for worship with your brothers and sisters? What do you need? Do you need practical tips for living? Do you need me to stand up here and tell funny stories about my life? I can tell you a lot of funny stories. Do you need a political speech or something you can hear at a political rally or something you could hear on talk radio? Do you need me to kind of give you a cursory glance here? We're going to do a little devotional. I'm going to give you a sermonette for Christianettes. A little 10-minute TED Talk. Do you need those things? No, let me just say this. You cannot spiritually survive on those things. You cannot grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus with those things. What do you need when you come here on Sunday morning? You need solid food. My job is to feed the sheep, not entertain the goats. And if I don't feed the sheep, the sheep will go somewhere else. And the goats don't care because they're just going to go wherever the wind blows. There's something you get here at a worship service that you're not going to get anywhere else. 
And it's not because of me or whoever fills this pulpit. It's because Christ is serving us through his word and through his supper. And you're not going to get that anywhere else. There's something special and unique about gathering on the Lord's Day together where Jesus feeds the sheep. My primary job as your pastor is to feed the sheep. If I failed to feed you through the preaching of the word, I failed in my mission. One of my favorite Puritans, John Owen, said this, The first and principal duty of a pastor is to feed the flock by the diligent preaching of the word. That's my job. Pastor Sean, what's your job description? To feed this flock by the diligent preaching of the word. Now, there's a bunch of other things I do, but that's my primary job, is to stand before you and feed you the meal of Christ's word so that you can be equipped and encouraged and empowered to leave this place and live for Jesus in your worlds. Another one of my favorite theologians said this beautifully. He says, How faith is confirmed in believers is by having the person and power of Christ explained to us. It is therefore the duty of a godly pastor to encourage disciples in the faith, and here's, the, the, here's what he says, to extol as much as possible the grace of Christ so that being satisfied with that, we may seek nothing else. My job is to show you, Jesus, from the Scriptures that you're so satisfied when you leave this place you want nothing else. I hope you understand how being present on Sunday morning is vital for your spiritual health. You need to be served by Christ. And here's the beauty. Jesus loves to serve his people, even when we don't deserve to be served. Think about what we've seen so far the past few months in Luke. Just this last section of the gospel. Jesus was delivered up by sinful man. Jesus suffered extreme anguish on the cross. Jesus was buried in a tomb. Jesus rose again three days later. And what did he do right after he rose from the grave? He served these two travelers. He gave them the scriptures, and he gave them a meal. You think if there was anybody that needed to be all that after rising from the dead, it's Jesus. But the first thing he does is he serves his followers because he knows we need to be fed himself. So let's not get the cart before the, the horse. I could have spent this entire sermon giving you some practical advice on how you can serve Jesus, and that's not bad. But you and I need to remember the reason why we serve Jesus is because he first served us. What does 1 John 4, 19 say? We love because he first loved us. Or you could say it this way, we serve because he first served us. We minister and do good works to others because Jesus first ministered and did good works to us by dying on the cross and rising again. So today, I'm not telling you to do anything. I'm telling you to rest and receive Christ as he's freely offered to you in the gospel. Your motivation, your energy, if it's going to be lasting to go out and live for Jesus, is not going to be because I've guilted you or because somehow I've motivated you. Lasting motivation to go out and live for Jesus is going to be when you have been served by Christ 
through the Spirit, through His Word, and through the Supper, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Then, once you've been served, you're empowered to go out and serve others. You can love your neighbor as yourself because you've been served here and equipped and ready to go out and do that. So may we leave here today equipped, encouraged, empowered, because Jesus himself has served us. He's the bread of life. And he truly satisfies our souls. And here's the point. Being satisfied with Jesus, we seek nothing else. We want Jesus. We need Jesus. Let that be our prayer this morning. So let me ask you to bow your heads as we go to our bread of life, our Savior. We are hungry people, we are thirsty people, but we often hunger and thirst for the wrong things. Jesus, you tell us, seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and all these things will be added unto us. And those blessed are those who hunger and, and thirst for righteousness. So Lord, help us to hunger and thirst for you, Jesus. Help us to realize what supernaturally is happening when we come to a worship service, that you're serving us yourself through the preaching of the word. And when we do celebrate the Lord's Supper. And Lord, my prayer is that every one of us that leave this place would be equipped with truth, we'd be encouraged by being together, and we'd be empowered to witness, to go out and make a difference, to go out and be salt and light, to go out and face a hostile world. Lord, there's so many things coming against us. We've got the world coming against us, we've got the devil coming against us, we have our own flesh coming against us, and we can't stand in our own strength. We need the strength of Christ, we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we need power. And Lord, there's no other place we're going to get that in the world. We need to be under your word. We need to be saturated by your word. We need the, the faithful preaching of your word. And so Lord, help me Lord, help me to be faithful to that task week in and week out. Father, I love these sheep. I love this church family. And I want them to be fed well. So I need your help, Lord, to do that. Would we all submit ourselves to you, Jesus, as the bread of life? And we'd find no other source of satisfaction but you, Jesus. We love you. We honor you. We want to now serve you. So as we leave this place, would you give us power to serve others, to witness, to be salt and light, to be the people you've called us to be? Let us look forward to coming to worship, to be together as your people. Help it never to get old. Help it never to become a duty. Help it never to be something that we take for granted. But Lord, help us to gather every Sunday with that expectation that you're going to serve us, you're going to feed us, you're going to meet us the power of the Spirit. We need this so desperately, Lord, in our world. So give us the strength to leave this place as your people, on your mission, on your agenda, doing your will. Not our wills, but yours be done, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray to the great bread of life. 
the sustainer of our souls. We love you, Jesus, and we ask this in your name. Amen and amen.